Every year in Ontario, thousands of people are seriously injured in car or slip and fall accidents. Recovery can be overwhelming and for many, a financial nightmare. Sir, drop your weapon, put your hands on your head and get down on the ground. You are going to be placed under arrest. We can help them get the financial compensation they deserve. That preventing a breach of the peace is a legitimate state interest. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. Talking to us now is, is Dr. Jill Robbie from the University of Glasgow. Um, who is a lecturer there, but also one of my very good friends. Uh, so, Jill, we're, we're so happy that you're here joining us. Um, we know that you are in um, Louisiana at the moment, so a, a very early good morning. Thank good morning. you very much. And, very, and uh, a lot of welcomes from a very beautiful day in New Orleans. So, at the moment, not to make you all jealous, but it's currently about 24 degrees in beautiful sunshine. <laughs> well, last week we did have 30 degrees for a week or so, so uh, we, we've got lucky there. <laughs> yeah, but lucky only a little. I think for you it's er it must be every day, Jill. Yes. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, it makes me willing to move to uh, New Orleans, apart from the fact that <laughs> August is hurricane weather. Yeah. So, so Jill, you are a lecturer at uh, the University of Glasgow. Um, but at the moment, you're in New Orleans. Why? I'm here because uh, current, currently Louisiana is in the process of drafting its new water code. So in the, new, in the next 12 months, um, it will be putting together a new comprehensive uh, code to deal with water issues in the state. Uh, Louisiana is an incredibly interesting state because it's a mixed legal system, just like Scotland, mixture oh, between yes. oh. um, Roman law coming from, the influenced by the French Civil Code, um, and English common law. So they've got very similar legal basis and legal principles to Scotland, which is why I'm doing the comparative work. But they've also got a huge number of water issues um, that's ranging from the use of water for fracking mm -hmm. um, to the disappearing coastline because of climate change and um, and their wetlands that are disappearing here um, to recreational uses. For example, the state is known as the sportsman's paradise because uh, a lot of people go fishing and hunting. So um, trying to balance all those multiple interests is really fascinating. So um, a lot of people would think that might be, uh, uh, well, very important in the area of public law, but how does property law play a role in, uh, in figuring all of this out? Well, what's fascinating to me being here in Louisiana, that's often a response. What you've just said is often a response that I get from most Europeans. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, but... <laughs> We, are, we have um, to serve. And, I, and I'm including the United Kingdom in that, um, <laughs> in that uh, category. So most of the time when I talk about water, um, or I've talked about it with, with other people from, from the continent and from the UK, people say, oh, this is all public law. Yeah. Amazing coming here is that there's two jurisdictions in the world I've been to where they realize what I'm talking about immediately when I talk about water rights and property rights, one is South Africa, uh, which is fascinating in a way because they've they've really disconnected the land and property rights with the water rights there, but they know from their history that 
property rights have been incredibly important um, in in access to water because during apartheid, uh, the 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 rules about property law were used in order to stop people from getting access to water, and mm. of course, um, the landowners and the property owners were. Um, were the white uh, people in that country. So it was used as a kind of tool of, of racial segregation in a way and access to resources. So when I talk about water rights and property rights, people in South Africa know what I'm talking about. But also here in Louisiana, when I say that I'm talking about water rights and property rights, they know exactly what I'm talking about because um, property and water are very strongly connected here. Um, for example, I've just been looking at Louisiana's definition of water as a public thing. Mm -hmm. And they say, for example, that the it's in their civil code that water is a public thing, which means that it's owned by the state. So now they take that really super literally and say, for example, that if somebody comes on a private road, a public road, and, and sets up a, a truck and starts taking the water from a from a river, which the fracking companies have been doing, then those companies can be charged with theft. Oh well, because oh. they're stealing the water of the state. So that's in an an attorney general's um, a, attorney general's opinion here. So that kind of those kind of issues and the property rules are in, are incredibly significant that's but, just one example of of the way that it's being used very very distinctly but why um, i mean you 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 brought off south africa early on then there's actually like i know a reasoning behind that um but why did uh, louisiana follow up there why is louisiana seeing water as property at the moment yeah exactly uh, well historically louisiana or still louisiana has um a huge amount of uh water resources mm -hmm. um, so it's not like South Africa in the sense that it is not a dry state or it's not like the um, some of the other states in the west of the of the United States that are are very dry but there's increasing competition over water mm -hmm. and that's what we're we're seeing now and particularly with the oil and gas companies where water resources are becoming more scarce um, there, there's been an incent. The state is trying to incentivize people to use surface water sources here instead of groundwater. So, th for things like agriculture and also for oil and gas, um, people have historically been trying to use more groundwater resources because they're more uh, reliable. Um, and and so can be more accessible, but those resources are not necessarily renewable. Yeah. Um, so there's been a kind of attempt to incentivize people to use surface water as opposed to groundwater, but then there's all the issues about um, the running water being the property of the state, and there doesn't seem to be a comprehensive license system um, in Louisiana like in Scotland, we have a very strong license system, which comes from the EU Water Framework Directive, um, which is public law, but it overlays the overlays the private law. Would you would you say, Jill, this is a, is a this is an example where where public law and private law work together, and where perhaps the distinction is making less sense? <clears throat> 
Um, I think cer- certainly in in Scotland, when looking at Scotland, we have a dual system. Um, we've got the the private law issues that you need to go through, um, and private law consents you need to get, and then you need then there's the public law consents that you mm. need to go through and you need to consider. So for every project there will be a number of different consents. Um, So instead of thinking about, I know um, we are very used to thinking about things in private law, things in public law, and I am, for example, a lecturer in private law, um, but there's no way that I could understand water comprehensively if I didn't look at any public law. But I would maybe suggest that it's the same for most property lawyers because... You know, anything that you want to do with your land, you can't just think about the private law constraints. Mm -hmm. There's always planning. There's always environmental rules that prevent us being able to do things on on our land um, and with our property. Amen to that. (laughs) <laughs> I just I was just making a passionate plea Jill before we we we, we called you for for the uh, breaking the boundaries between pr- uh, private law and public law in many aspects and particularly when we talked about um property law and sustainability yeah which yeah. is of course also what you are doing not I mean that is it's connected very closely to why well, it fits very well within the sustainability and property law framework not Yes, exactly. I mean, my whole methodology here when when I'm doing my comparative law um, and for my research in general is how to balance this, the three spheres of economic development, um, social justice and environmental protection. And to me, I think property law with um, trailblazers like Andre van der Valt have, has been able to in the past consider more recently, issues of of social justice, but environmental protection is really the thing that I think is is lagging behind. And I don't think that we can just rely on uh, the state to to provide regulations for for environmental protection. I think that these these tensions in these three spheres need to be integrated into our our property law doctrine. So, so that would be no. What would you think would be a logical next step to to get closer to these sustainability goals? I think. Well, the, I think the one major thing that we need to do is to <laughs> ensure that there's a kind of realization or or a wake up call mm. to those those doctrinal private lawyers. Um, <laughs> to me. Uh, property law and private law in general has implications. It has a lot of implications. And I think we need to realize what those implications are in the different fields. So it has economic development implications. We've been thinking about that for a really long time. Things Thinking about you know, certainty, protecting people's investments, thinking about how to produce greater economic development. Um, but there's so much more and there's so many more effects of property law doctrine and just at least realizing what those effects are for social justice, for environmental protection. I think that realization at least then allows those kind of factors to be considered in our research. So that's a kind of methodological issue. 
And then it's like the groundwork of of re uh, reconsidering exactly what our fundamental what our fundamental doctrines sh- should be. Um, I, if I didn't have the template or or the example of Andre Van der Velt, then I don't know where I would be. <laughs> um, but he shows how a methodology can. And, and a whole system can be created, which can then have incredible influence on a legal system um, with the example of South Africa. They are, you know, they went through a massive period of, of transformation in order to allow that um, to happen. And it's kind of a revolutionary context. Uh, but it, in, in a sense, I, it, it gives me hope that things can change for mm. better. But what do you think personally? Um, over the next year, centuries, would there be a possibility that property law would expand not only to the water that uh, in South Africa it's already included in, in Louisiana, but maybe also to coal, steel, um, gas, etc.? So to all natural resources. Or is that maybe taken too far? Well, I think, no, <laughs> let, I'm... I'm interested to see what happens with the law of oil and gas mm-hmm. um, other natural resources of that sort over over the next um, couple of decades. I, my most optimistic uh, self would think that they would just, because we're attempting, even if we're doing it slowly, to trans transfer into a sustainable economy um, that those resources would just simply become uh, not very important anymore and it would become kind of economically infeasible uh, to try and get them out of the ground mm-hmm. and we would just leave them there um, that's my most ep- optimistic se- uh, self <laughs> my least optimistic self is that these resources just become more and more of value And we uh, continue the environmental degradation in order to um, to try and access those resources. Uh, I don't know if you, either of you been watching the uh, the series Occupied, no, which is about <laughs> uh, it's about the Norwegian it's a, a series on Netflix. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a terrible kind of. A fear-inducing example of what I think could happen um, in this situation: the Norwegians stop producing uh, oil, mm-hmm. uh, stop producing oil, and decide to uh, go completely to a new form of nuclear energy. And the Russians invade with the backing of the EU in order to continue the oil production of Norway. Uh, That is like a terrifying projection yeah. of the kind of problems that we could face in the future, I think. And if we could only just collectively respond to the, the to kind of problem of these natural resources um, in a different way and think about this immediate transition to, to a renewable and sustainable economy, then, then I've got hope. Otherwise, <laughs> Otherwise we're, we might be all doomed, Jill. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think it's very interesting what you're saying, and that um, in the Netherlands there's now the um, we have a there's an NGO called um, Environmental Defense basically, mm. um, and they are they are using tort law 
um, and liability to uh, uh, go against Shell, or they, they will soon go against Shell, um, by constructing uh, a duty of care. And they are saying um, that Shell owes a duty of care to all of us um, to stop um, basically digging and producing for fo- fossil fuels uh, by the year 2050, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, 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 they do this on the basis of this Urgenda case that we already have in the Netherlands, where the, the, the Dutch government, government was yeah, held yeah. to a standard of duty of care to actually do something about sustainability. Um, you know, and then... Uh, I am always more optimistic than 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 hopefully your your least optimistic self. Um, <laughs> is that uh, you know that if if you can use tort law, why not use property law? It's it's always better to do both, I guess, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, but this is the point that Benedict and I were discussing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but just prop- before, yeah. I would like to construe obligations yeah. within property law, yeah. um, so that that also means that you 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 uh, have to prevent deal with your ownership in a certain manner, and whether that be what with water and dealing with that in a certain way, mm. or with fossil fuels and dealing with that in a certain way, and fracking for sure, huh? Um, that for me is uh, I find very interesting. I mean, I also use a lot of South African examples. Um, you know where you have in in South Africa, you have all these companies that that um, uh, use fracking um, um, to to uh, drill for gas, and then right before the the mine is ex- exhausted, they abandon the mine, so they just leave it and then let everybody. And there's environmental damage from the chemicals that they used. Um, there are societal damages because there's a whole village that's left alone. You know that 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 basically settled there in order to 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 work in the mines, and they're all abandoned and everything's gone, mm-hmm. and nobody cleans it up anymore. Um, you know that I would say is a um, uh, uh, is another example of where 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 private law and, and our private law instruments, if we reconceptualize them a little bit, um, you know they can help. I think it's in, uh, I think what well, I totally agree with what Bram's saying, and we we had a case in in Scotland about a coal mine, and the the issue was a very distinct issue of property law, which is can you abandon uh, immovable property? Because all of these, this this coal mine had millions of pounds worth of um, uh, remediation expenses con- connected to it, mm. and I think the company went into liquidation, and the liquidators were saying, "Can we abandon this property?" Because they didn't want to abandon, they didn't want to have it anymore. And of course, in Scotland, not I think not as in Louisiana, where abandoned things um, are then open to occupation. In Scotland, um, abandoned things belong to the Crown. So they then the state would uh, then have to just pick up the bill for having to look after that uh, that mm-hmm. property. So those, the, the, I mean, that is such an issue of property law, you know. Yeah, and yeah. there, there could definitely be a PhD in uh, in looking at that question. But suddenly, it's become so so much more significant. Mm-hmm. Um, what what I'm seeing is that people that property claims seem to become stronger, um, and I've just I'm thinking about this in relation to water that people because for example their their human rights um, uh, claims are not being listened to or certain environmental protections are not being adhered to. People are using property law because they think that that will be, that will serve the greatest level of protection, provide Mm -hmm. the greatest level of protection. And I think that that's all very well and good as long as you trust the owner. Because at the moment we don't really have a huge amount of 
um, control uh, in our property law doctrine over what owners can do. And we don't focus too much on the obligation side of ownership and think that's something that Bram is, is, is trying to change. Um, but for example, if you pr provide all the state in Louisiana with ownership of its water resources, that's great if you trust the state. Yes. Yeah. But yes. Louisiana is not a wealthy state no. and it might just decide that it could make a huge amount of money by selling its water resources. What Jill. stops the state from doing that? It does have a public trust mm -hmm. doctrine um, here, which says it has to look after the natural resources of this of the state. But what if it says that um, the money it would get from selling its water resources would benefit the people of Louisiana? Yeah. So that that kind of and you know, a lot of it, people are Texas is very interested in Louisiana's water. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, um, I think ownership. That to me, ownership. Um, it, it we need to focus on on all reconsidering as a priority ownership mm -hmm. within this new methodology of of sustainability and, and property law. To think about what are the obligations and what are what do landowners and and property owners have to have to do with their property, um, as well as what rights they have. Joel, thank you very very much for the broad uh, the short introduction. Um, sadly, we, we have to go now, um, but it was very uh, nice of you to uh, be here with us, especially since it's still very, very early uh, over there. <laughs> and I think we should definitely come back to that maybe um, on a different occasion when we're in person. When we are when we are in closer time zones, Benedict. But Jill, yeah, yeah. I mean, your work is fascinating. I want to say it that is, again. It's really, it's truly groundbreaking. Yeah. Thank you. Jill, Thank how, you, ca how can the listeners find you online? Do we have uh, some research uh, website or are you on Twitter? Yes, I am on Twitter, um, Jill Robbie. If you search for Jill Robbie on Twitter, and then I also have a research uh, web page at the Glasgow University, which shows my reform of private water rights uh, research um, and and the ongoing documents that I've got on there. Beautiful. I'll make sure it's in the description. And um, well, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you.